Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for generals in the faith. Those who have stood the test of time and brought a consistent witness to your kingdom, to the gospel, to your glory, to a world that desperately needs you. Thank you for this house, the angel of this house. Thank you for your anointing that rests upon this house. And thank you for this spiritual family and community of faith that you have planted in this location. Thank you for this morning that we can open our hearts and minds, experience the presence of your spirit and the power of your word. And Father, we appeal to the Holy Spirit because we recognize no matter how great the preacher, the teacher, the singer, it's still the ministry of the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of our understanding and transforms the heart. Touch our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The little girl sat in the back of the classroom listening to the teacher as they were covering marine biology. And the girl became puzzled because the teacher kept emphasizing for some reason that it was impossible for a whale to swallow a man. So she politely waited till the end of the class, went up to the teacher and, and challenged her and said, what do you mean a whale cannot swallow a man? And the teacher said, it's scientifically impossible, biologically impossible. The little girl said, well, what about Jonah? And the teacher continued to say, it's impossible. So the little girl, frustrated, simply said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the teacher, wanting to rebut, said to the little girl, what if Jonah went to hell? The little girl thought for a moment and then said, then you can ask him. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings have thou perfected things. I bring you greetings from our church in New York City, Christian Cultural Center. I bring you greetings from my lovely wife, October 1st of this year, we celebrate 50 years of marriage to the same person. We started dating when we were five, got married when we were eight. 
I bring you greetings from my seven sons. People ask, why do you have seven sons? Because we wanted a daughter. We just stopped along the way. And to correct the video, and I enjoyed the video, I've come all the way to Los Angeles to see a video like that. Thank you. I only have 25 grandchildren, not 26. Unless that video was prophetic. But I've had a wonderful journey with Jesus. And I celebrate this denominational body because I was ordained as a minister in the church of God in Christ. So these are familiar spaces for me. And it was a very important part of my journey. And they said, when I received my ordination, they said, they called me the flat-footed preacher. They said, Bernard's not going to hoop for you, but you're going to learn something. And that's because it just didn't fit me coming out of the nation of Islam as a black Muslim into Christianity. It was a big step for me. But God planted me in Kojic for me to experience and learn about the black church and the black church experience. And I cherish, cherish that opportunity and that journey. Someone said, blessed are the brief, for they shall be invited back. So with that in mind, I will be brief, no matter how long it takes. My text is found in the book of the prophet Isaiah. I will be pastoral to you today, but I'll also be prophetic to you today. I'm grateful to the legacy of ministry of Bishop Blake and for his trust to allow me into this very big pulpit that has touched the lives of so many, influenced and shaped so many. It's not what you do. It's not what you do that makes you great in life. It's what you inspire others to do. Therein lies your greatness. My text is found in the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, beginning at verse 18. Pastoral, in that I want to give you a word that's going to encourage your heart as you navigate this world that Jesus left us in, to bring his love, his life, and his light to a world in darkness and confusion and very much in need of God's love. I'll be prophetic in that the prophetic is predictive to the future, but primarily analytical to the present. Because the prophets would analyze and evaluate the social, political, spiritual, moral climate 
of the nations. Hear from God and then speak into those conditions and offer an opportunity for change. And when they did not change, then the prophet became predictive and began to express what the outcome of unrepentance would result in. I favor that aspect of the prophetic because the predictive has been so abused that prophetic has become fortune-telling. We abuse the gift of God. In this chapter, the prophet Isaiah speaks a very important theme that runs throughout scripture. In fact, it is something that predates the fall. In other words, it was built in to the human experience, built into the foundations of this universe, of this earth and human society. And it's one word, and it's the word renewal. Renewal. In church language, it's called revival. We understand it that way. But essentially, it's a process of renewing. The prophet speaks these words in verse 18. Do not, I'm reading from the New King James Version, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. The prophet presents the new by first demanding that we don't judge the new by the old. And before you can embrace the new, you have to pass judgment on the old. Not that the old is invalid, which in this cancel culture is the spirit of things. We want to cancel the old. No, we build on the old. The old is legacy. The old is to be preserved. The old is the platform and experience and depth of understanding and knowledge that brings, that's brought to the table and the new builds on that. So transition, succession, renewal, all of these things are not a collision of the past and the future. No. They are where the past and the future come together to form a confluence, a new stream of life out into the future. And the prophet was saying, I'm going to do something new, so new that you cannot judge it by the past. Renewal 
is a process of life. Renewal is a process of life. If you cut yourself or get a cut, immediately the healing process begins. The blood clots. Cells begin to reproduce. That portion of the body that has been damaged or injured begins that process of renewal to bring new life into it, to restore it. The old dead cells fall off and dead cells are falling off of our skin on a daily basis. So renewal is a continuous process that's going on. In Psalm 104.30, Psalmist says, you send forth your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth. In Psalm 51.10, and I give you scripture because if you don't give scripture, people feel you haven't preached. And I agree. In Psalm 51.10, the psalmist says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 2 Corinthians 4.16 the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man perish and is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, God is a God of generations and long-term objective. That's why he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of life, the God of the living the God in perpetuity. And Colossians 3.10 says so beautifully, and I hope you don't mind me using new technology. I will not criticize the old technology turning the page because I was in my pulpit. I criticized it once and my iPad crashed. <laughs> so whatever technology you're using. Verse 10 in Colossians 3, it says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Isaiah 41 speaks of collective corporate renewal. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord. Come on, you know that verse. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Renewal is a process of change. And change is the only constant in life. We are always going through changes. Whether it's change in clothes, hairstyles, jobs, residences, relationships, on and on and on. Life is constantly filled with change. Change is the essence of maturation. You will not grow unless you're willing 
to change. It's true of an individual. It's true of a family. It's true of a community. It's true of a nation. It's true of an organization. It's true of relationships. It's true of a marriage. It's true of a ministry. The ministry can't grow unless it's willing to change. A stubborn mind will always be an ignorant mind because it refuses to be taught. Truth brings the conviction necessary for change. That's why grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Because if you have grace without truth, it can lead you into presumption. And if you have truth without grace, it can leave you in despair. It takes a balance of the two coming together to affect the change and transformation that God intended for us. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth. Then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All truth is confrontational. You can't change without it, but all truth is confrontational. That's why when Jesus announced himself as the way, the truth, and the life, you understand why he stirred up so much controversy. Because truth confronts our beliefs, our assumptions, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our motives, and our attitudes. Truth, and only truth, leads to real change. When change is necessary, not to change becomes destructive. I'm going to try that one more time. If changes are the only constant in life, change is always necessary. And when change is necessary, not to change becomes destructive. Destructive to the individual. Destructive to the relationship. Destructive to the organization. Destructive to the community, destructive to a society, destructive to a nation, destructive to a ministry. Change moves us from the transient to the permanent, to the temporal, to the eternal, from the lesser to the greater. Change takes place quietly by wisdom or erupts in crisis. I'll try that one more time. I want it to marinate. Change takes place quietly by wisdom, prudence, foresight, or it erupts in crisis. The social, political, economic, spiritual, and even moral upheavals that we've witnessed over the last four years in our nation is erupting in crisis. It's challenging the status quo, which is exactly what change does. It challenges our systems, our structures, our beliefs, our understanding. 
But it's all intended to move us to the next level. And that's why Jesus said, every branch in me that bears no fruit, I will cut it off. But every branch in me that bears fruit, I will prune it so that it can become even more fruitful. He was talking about change. I tell my congregation, if you're unfruitful, you get cut. If you're fruitful, you get cut. So you might as well get cut for a good reason. And pruning is a cutting away of those things in your life, ministry, organization, or relationship that are unproductive. And that's why it's confrontational, because sometimes it's difficult to let go of what's unproductive in your life, in your organization, in your ministry, in your relationship. You see, if change doesn't take place from the top voluntarily, it will take place from the bottom by revolution. God never invests. God never invests in someone who is waiting to change based on future conditions. God won't commit to what you're not willing to do now. And it takes courage to change. There's no doubt about it. And this is why when Joshua was being handed the mantle to take over Moses' role, again and again, God spoke to him and said, be of good courage, be courageous, be strong, because it takes strength and courage to change. Change takes place on four levels. Let me give them to you. Number one, change begins on a personal level. See, this is what real revival, God orchestrated, God birth revival is all about. We have revivals. We have a week of service or several weeks of service. We'll open a tent. We'll invite guest speakers. We'll invite uh, guest musicians. We'll invite guest singers. And we have a revival and we celebrate and that's wonderful to renew ourselves. But there is the renewal that is orchestrated by God. And it begins inside and works its way outside. So all true renewal that's orchestrated by God begins with the person. And it addresses our deepest needs. So when the woman at the well came to him. Bishop, and she entered a discussion with Jesus about theology. What mountain should we worship in? And he indulged her. And they talked about Messiah and how Messiah, when he comes, would expose everything, reveal everything, and bring truth. And Jesus let her go through that. And like God will let you go through some of your stalling, while the real need is to get to the heart of what's necessary to change. So after Jesus indulged her for a little bit and she thought she had him, he stopped and he asked the question. In fact, he gave her a command. He said, go get your husband. Now we're talking, Jesus. Because now you're in my business. All the other stuff outside is a shield to protect myself from any invention or inventory of what's really going on in my life. 
And all she could say is, I perceive thou art a prophet. (laughs) But you see, personal change that's orchestrated by God goes into the heart of the matter. And she responded honestly. And now the conversation became real. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, you're right. You've got five husbands. You've had five husbands. And not one of them was yours. Because personal change deals with the issues of guilt, low self-esteem, low self-worth, tarnished reputation, negative past. Because God is not committed to the person we pretend to be. He's committed to the image of Christ that he's trying to form in each of us and liberate us from the stuff that robs us of the glory that he intended for us to carry and reflect in him as images of the God, the divine God who saved us. So renewal begins on a personal level where God cleans house, where he cleans his new temple because Jesus' response to the woman at the well was the time has come when they'll worship God neither in Jerusalem or in this mountain because God was going to inhabit the hearts of individuals and they will become the temple of God where the worship and prayer of God and praise and honor of God would took place. You see, this is a building where the church meets but it's we who make up the church. Second level. And I've got to hurry. They only gave me two hours. Change takes place. Renewal takes place on a personal level. And then it moves into your relationships. And renewal begins to take place on a relational level level because your relationships are critical relationship is a network for life relationship is a fuel for life relationship can also be the destruction of your life so true revival true renewal has to get into those who are influencing us I'm telling you right now if renewal and revival is coming to your house to you and to your relationship the first thing God's going to do is check who around you is influencing you the most. And I'm telling you right now, if you are the smartest one in your group, you need a new group. Because you have no one in there to challenge you to grow, to develop, which human flourishing is the ultimate objective of the vision of God for humanity in this earth. He's even got to separate you from your religion. A man came to... And Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said, if you're at the altar and while you're there offering your gift, engage in your religious ritual. And while you're there, remember that your brother and you have a problem with each other. Leave the gift, leave your religion, leave your ritual, leave your sacrifice and go first be reconciled to your brother. Because the relationship is more important than your religion. Don't hide behind your religion for relationships that God is calling you to. 
So on a relational level, he begins to examine the relationships that are more important to us and most important to us. And he begins to reevaluate who occupies the spaces in our lives. And this is why he told Abraham, leave your, leave your father's house. Leave your country. I need you to remove yourself from all the influences in your life that will compete with what I'm trying to do with you, where I'm trying to lead you, what I'm trying to accomplish, because what I'm trying to do in you is going to affect people hundreds of years, thousands of years after you, because you're part of a greater purpose. And too often we ignore the spatiality of relationships. You see, our lives and relationships in our lives are spatial. It's like, it's like the bullseye and you're in the middle and then you have all of these circles around you and spaces around you and people occupy certain spaces in your life. And you need to know why they're there. Either they're there because they're mature enough to occupy that space or they have some purpose in that space. And during a time of renewal, we are examining those spaces and we are repositioning people. Some people we, we can retrain and bring them up to the level necessary to be that close to us. Because people, when they get close to us, they see us for what we really are. And some folks can't handle that. So you have to re-examine the spaces in your life and who is occupying those spaces. And God is concerned about those spaces. That's why there was Peter, James, and John. There was the 12. There was the 70. There was the 500. There were the multitudes. And there was John. Each occupied a specific space that Jesus allowed them into. And renewal examines the spaces in your life because if they don't have a purpose there then they need to be repurposed if they're not mature enough to be there their immaturity will show up and become detrimental and destructive you see we live life on levels we arrive and experience life in stages and as we move from one level of life to another everybody's not moving with us and the intimacy of our relationships must change along the way Third, I've got to talk fast, so think fast, listen fast. Personal renewal, relational renewal, and then the renewal of purpose. And why God stressed to the nation of Israel as he spoke these words about doing a new thing, because it's easy to become comfortable in the past, because the past is familiar. And especially in our Western Christianity culture, we like certainty, we want to know. So we'll think old wine is better. And God's trying to pour the new wine. But before he can pour the new wine, he's got to do something with the wineskins. So renewal begins to examine your sense of purpose, identity, calling. And begins to challenge whether you fully understand your mission and purpose in life and in the kingdom of God. Causes you to reimagine or rethink your brand, 
your organization, your ministry, your relationship, your marriage. Everything gets touched by it. See, because if you lose sight of your purpose, you can get caught up in tasks and think that you're accomplishing something. Never confuse movement with progress. And fourth, renewal reexamines the structures of your life. The structures of your life. You see, how you arrange your life creates a rhythm. That rhythm establishes a pattern. That pattern leads, leads you in the direction of better or worse. And if your life is going down and things are going down, you've got to go back and look at how your life is arranged. Change the arrangement. Change the rhythm. Reestablish a new pattern that takes you in the direction of your dreams and your goals and what you want to do, what you want to be, what you want to accomplish. And lastly, renewal is cultural. It examines your relationship and your cultural context. Are you influencing the culture or is the culture influencing you? And see, we have a lot of that going on. Instead of the church informing the culture, the culture is informing the church. Instead of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we're being informed and reformed and transformed by external sources that are inconsistent with the vision of the kingdom of God. And we begin to embrace philosophies and ideas that are inconsistent with the kingdom of God. What the Old Testament called strange fire. Cultural renewal forces you to examine your worldview. The narrative that influences your beliefs, assumptions, and actions. You see, true renewal, true change is a reawakening of passion, purpose, and vision. It's a reawakening of passion, purpose, and vision. And if I could speak prophetically to you here, West Angeles, you're in transition. And this is important. You're in transition. I know it because I'm in it in our church. And how we handle transition is critical. We see, fame comes in a moment, but greatness comes with longevity. And the bishop didn't establish this for 15 minutes of fame. He established it generationally. He established it for longevity. He established it so that it would continue after him. Because if God gives you a vision, it's greater than your lifetime. It's greater than your understanding. It's greater than what your mind can conceive. Because the moment you conceive it, God can do greater. Jesus said, if you want to be great, Find a way to serve people. And 
he's done that through this ministry. So greatness is okay. The pursuit of greatness is okay. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. As long as it's serving people and not self-serving. The key to longevity is managing continuity and change. Hear what I'm about to say, please. The key to longevity, if longevity brings greatness, the key to longevity is managing continuity and change. And the secret to managing continuity and change is knowing what to change and what to continue. Because if you change what you should continue, you lose your identity. If you continue what you should change, you become irrelevant. And when the salt loses its flavor, come on, you know the rest. American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, author of a well-known prayer, it's called the Serenity Prayer, goes like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Give me the courage to change the things that I can't and the wisdom to know the difference. This renewal, this transition is taking place Across our nation, around the world, as I speak to pastors and leaders, generations are moving, some moving on. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. I'm not finished, but I'm going to stop here. John chapter 17, powerful passage of Scripture. And let's look at what Jesus says in John 17, verse 1. You've got to understand that he says this at the end of a conversation that lasts from chapter 13 right up through chapter 17 that he has with his disciples, which are his parting words. In John 17... Jesus spoke these words, verse 1, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. The glory of an object is its intrinsic value, its worth. To glorify is to manifest the worth and value. So Jesus was praying to the Father. He said, Father, he said, he said manifest your value your worth through me, that I may in turn reflect it back to you so that what is examined between us is the Father honoring the Son because the Son is honoring the Father. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me clarify. It means that during this time of movement and succession and change and rearrangement, 
God wants the past to pour into the future. And watch that future. And create a scenario the way, the way it was created with, with Moses when he goes up to the mountain thinking that he's going to meet with God and prepare to lead Israel out into the future. And God told him, no, 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 no. This is a change that's taking place. I want you to go back down. I want you to anoint, anoint Joshua and present him before the people. And hear the key words, because I told my son this. And give him some of your power. You see, too often transition and succession and movement and renewal and recharging takes place so late. But there must be a period where there's a shared holding of the baton. And then to let go. To make sure that the systems and structures are in place. That the renewal has been rooted in the congregation, in the organization, in the ministry. So more than ever, West Angeles... Your leadership needs your prayers. They need God's wisdom, God's favor, God's anointing, God's direction, God's understanding, and the courage to change the things that need to be changed. And the word of the Lord comes. And gives us an opportunity. And I love the words of Jesus. Let me close with this. He went around preaching, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means within reach. In other words, access has been open. And the kingdom is not a place that we go to after we die. Because Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Not we go to your kingdom. The kingdom is a comprehensive way of seeing life, understanding life, that informs our words, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our motives, our choices, and orients us so that we can bring glory to God in everything that we do. He said, you have access now to the kingdom's power, to the kingdom's wisdom, to the kingdom's ability, because in Christ, you can now begin to do things that you could not do on your own because it was always undermined by the flesh. But with my spirit in you, now the change can take place in ways, in your personal life, in your relational life. Renewal of purpose in your thinking, in your passion, in your heart, in your mind. Restructuring your life and then doing it in a way that begins to influence the culture, which is exactly why he left us on the planet and didn't take us off when we got saved. In the ancient world, they didn't fear change like us. We fear change. In the ancient world, Change is what made them feel safe. And that's why after a cataclysmic flood, what did God say to Noah? Be fruitful, multiply. And what was the promise? Day and night will not cease. Hot and cold, winter and summer. In other words, the systems of change will stay in place. You can depend on it. 
You can bank on it. Instead of being afraid of change, they embraced it. They were scared that there would be no day after night. That there would be no summer after winter. So for us as believers, we embrace change and let it move us to the next level of life, ministry, relationship, organization. We embrace it so that God can be glorified. West Angeles, I love you. Thank you for opening your heart and receiving the word of the Lord.